Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And welcome to our once a month podcast, as it's been of late. As I was it, ripping it on has. Peyton for and, that. Uh, and we were just talking about that today. I'm like, no. And you're like, yeah, man. Because we did a buttload of Summit. I don't think you can say that with our guest. That's we did language. a, uh, uh, what's what's the word for butt? I thought butt was the one you can use. <laughs> I don't think well, it doesn't. Can. It doesn't offend me any. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm fine with it. We have a derriere load. Is that is that proper? There can you, you say go. that? There you go. Posterior. Posterior. Upper echelons of society. Yes, yes. Posterior load of uh, summit interviews. And so it was a little bit of a placebo effect. Made me feel like we're doing tons of podcasts. And we weren't. And we do actually have a guest who's sitting, uh, piping in actually, which is, uh, it's kind of ironic because he's a piper. And uh, (laughs) we have on our show, and Pete's never going to let me introduce our guest again, but uh, we have Barnabas Piper. We are very honored to have you on here, Barnabas. I love being on with you guys. And and, I mean, anything that starts with uh, synonyms for the word but is going to be a good podcast. Absolutely. We even have a train that comes through our podcast. That's about to happen in a second. I can hear it coming down the tracks. See, I live on railroad tracks. What, what you got okay, I, didn't know if, I didn't know if that was a metaphor for something. <laughs> Sometimes it is. What you got to understand is we actually have uh, another podcast. It's a weekly podcast. And we do the first half hour of that podcast as what we call smack talk. And so when we haven't done that recently, we tend to like let it leak over into this one, which is supposed to be our serious podcast. But but well, it's not well, today. Ser- serious. So. If it's if it's too serious, it's boring, though. So I have no issues with this. This is fun. That is go. true. And and, you know, but 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 to get back on track here, uh, we do have to actually introduce our guests. This is why we can't have nice things and why I don't <laughs> normally get to do this. But uh, Barnabas Piper is the son of John Piper. I know I shouldn't have said that first, but son of John Piper. And and I say that because that's as close to John Piper as we can get on our podcast, but that's not why we have you. We have Barnabas Piper because he wrote a book that Pete read and it rocked him. I remember Pete reading this book. It was called The Pastor's Kid. Pete goes, dude, we got to get Barnabas Piper on here. I read his book. It is so good. And and you were really affected, Pete, by this. Let me finish my intro before you. I, I You can't talk. You can't talk right now. It's I, just me. I never get to talk on the podcast. You don't get to talk. So Barnabas Piper, he wrote The Pastor's Kid. He wrote Help My Unbelief. He's also got two podcasts. <laughs> podcasts podcast. I got barely any sleep last night. I went to bed at four in the morning. Is this where you're going to talk about you again? Can, can yes. we get back to the guest? He has two podcasts. One is the Five Questions of Leadership podcast, and the other one's called The Happy Rant, and that one sounds really good to me. So, Barnabas, for the second time, welcome onto the podcast. 
And for the There's second time, thank you. Oh, it is a, it's an actual literal train. I heard it. It was, uh, it was welcoming me to the podcast as well. No, it's good to be on with you guys. I appreciate you inviting me. Hey, um, Barnabas, one of the reasons why we've got you on the podcast and why uh, Peyton was saying that I enjoyed the book so much is I myself am a PK and I was reading the book. While we've got a running joke on our other podcast that uh, back before uh, Peyton worked for Nam. We used to go to islands uh, because we'd sit at the bar and have a sandwich and usually drink a beer. Now he can't drink beer because he works for Nam, but I can still drink beer. (laughs) And so I now I have to go by my lonesome. Right. And so I take my iPad and I'm like reading books and I'm like, Barnabas completes me. I'm texting this to him over my beer. I'm like, (laughs) he's speaking my love language back and forth. I was so So, jealous. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because. Because I wasn't speaking your love language? No, because normally... Is yours normally, physical touch? Normally, Pete and I have cuddles. But he oh, was he was, hey, he was no. cyber-cuddling you. I, I, I got a little jealous. It's true. No. Not ashamed. What Does it you, count as uh, cyber-cuddling if I don't know that it's happening? Oh, you know... It's, it's a one-sided cyber-cuddle. You've got gotcha. your back turned to Pete, which is normally how <laughs> he is with me, which is why I got more jealous. Wow, this this interview is going downhill right from the get-go. I made it weird. I told you I went to bed at four. This is why I told Pete before, I can't talk in this one. You have to talk. Well, one of the things, uh, Barnabas, that we always like to start our podcast off with is uh, why don't you tell everyone who's not familiar with you, and I don't know if it's possible to not be familiar with Pops, but uh, why don't you tell them your story of how you came to faith, which... Might almost be the whole podcast because it's kind of like the struggle in the book. But anyway, go ahead and tell us your story of how you came to faith. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned who my dad is right off the top. And uh, obviously, I'm, uh, I've am i been accused of writing daddy's coattails on occasion by uh, curmudgeonly bloggers and the like. So <clears throat> I guess that uh, that sets the stage a little bit for where where my story comes out of. Um, my dad became a pastor three years before I was born, uh, and then retired from the pastorate on my 30th birthday. So, um, and that was about three, three and a half years ago now. Um, so my first 30 years of life were in the context of being a pastor's kid. So, uh, grew up, grew up in the church. My parents were very faithful in, uh, presenting me with the gospel from, you know, from, I'm sure from before I could understand what it was. I mean, I'm sure we were, I was sitting in on family devotions while I was still in diapers. And so at about six or seven, um, I gave my life to Christ. You know, I, I professed faith and and prayed, uh, prayed the prayer to give my life to Christ. And I have that scribbled in the front of a, of a children's Bible. My parents have that hidden away somewhere at their house. And I think from that point on, I, I genuinely saw myself as a believer and, tried to live as such for the most part. You know, everybody has their ups and downs, but my upbringing as a pastor's kid was largely, I mean, I largely uh, enjoyed being part of the church. It wasn't an antagonistic relationship for the most part. Um, You know, I wasn't wasn't a, a rebellious kid and things like that. I was heavily involved in all the Sunday school stuff and all the youth group stuff and missions trips and, uh, you know, Bible memory and Bible trivia and VBS and all that stuff. Um, and I was sort of the kind of the A plus church kid in a lot of ways and just, you know, kind of a rabble rouser around the edges just cause that was my personality. Um, <clears throat> but the thing that, that began to build over time that was 
troubling, I mean, in retrospect at the time, I was just more, it was just more like an empty spot was that I never did figure out kind of who I was, what my identity was. And, and, you know, maybe a way to put it would be my faith was not, my faith was not between me and Christ. My faith was kind of defined by those things around me. So uh, defined by my, my parents' theology, defined by my church participation, defined by all the answers that I knew. So I was pretty good at, at having the right answer for, um, for really any, like any theological question. I could, I could argue Calvinism at like 14 years old and, and any 14 year old who can argue Calvinism is a pain in the backside. <laughs> so, uh, that, but that was me. And so I, I, I sort of assumed faith based on all of those, those pieces, but there wasn't that sort of vibrant life transforming relationship with Christ in the way that it should be. And of course, when there's a hole in your identity, it begins to fill up with other things. You know, you begin to cast about searching for who am I, what should I be? And for me, that was a really subtle thing. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't casting about into sex and drugs and, and some of those more visible extremes. For me, it was more a matter of how I presented myself. So it was a matter of honesty. Um, I, I wanted people to believe I was something. And so I presented myself that way. So it was, it was the ability to twist a truth a little bit. Sometimes it was an outright lie, <clears throat> but like all dishonesty, those things tend to get worse as time goes on. Um, you know, lies don't stay little. They, they tend to outgrow. It's like the, the children's story of the little white lie, you know, where it becomes a sort of a raging destructive monster. And so through my college years, I left, uh, left home at 18, moved away, went to Wheaton College in Illinois and, and loved my time there, made great friends, was heavily involved in the church there as well, served in, in the student ministry there. And again, really desiring to serve Christ. But again, this sort of hole in my identity, my life um, was still there. And so <clears throat> once I graduated from college and, and got into the workforce, it carried into my work. And so that dishonesty ended up earning me uh, my way out of a job. I got fired from a job because of how I had handled some, you know, company resources and the like. And I was married at this point. We'd had our first daughter. We now have, we have two daughters. I'm sorry. We, we had just had our second daughter at that point. And, um, <clears throat> and life just sort of crumbled around me because this falsehood that I had built up, my wife had seen me as sort of this paragon of virtue. I was mm. again, neck deep in, ch in church and working at a Christian company at the time. And, and here we are jobless, uh, and just all sorts of questions about who was I really. So she had those questions about me and, and I had those questions about myself and, um, and then the church that we were part of had two or three guys in leadership, you know, elders who came around me and said, we, you know, we're going to walk through you with you through this process, if you will let us. So it was a question of repentance and what did I want to be restored? Uh, did I want to find a genuine faith in relationship with Christ? And I saw enough at that point, I think by the grace of God to recognize that I could go one of two ways. And one was either towards Christ and the other was just fleeing in the opposite direction and kind of walking away from all, everything that was good. And I, I, I chose to let those guys guide me through that. And, and it was through that process that I began to see, um, what it means to follow Christ, who Christ is really. And there was a, there was a key turning point where one of the guys had said, uh, his a guy named Wayne Martindale, who's a professor at Wheaton, um, and 
and an elder at the church. He was an older guy, kind of nearing retirement at that point. And he just very gently said, I think what you need to do is kind of set aside all those answers that you know, all of that stuff that you have, that you've claimed to be part of your life, all of the, all the theology, all the presuppositions about who Christ is, and go back to the Gospels and dig in to see if you can kind of meet Jesus anew, meet him again for the first time, if that may, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, it's the idea of being born again, you know, how can you be born and then born again? But it's like meeting Jesus for the first time again. And, uh, and so it sounded like a very challenging thing that I didn't know if I could do, but I didn't have anything else to do. So I figured I would try it. And I made my way through Matthew and tried really hard not to ignore all the familiar verses of which there were many, because I'd already read the Bible like 25 times at that point and uh, got into Mark and was having the same sort of grind of an experience until I got to Mark 9, where it's the story of Jesus healing the demon-possessed son. Um, So a father brings the demon-possessed son to Jesus And the father says, Jesus, help us if you can, if you can do anything for us. And Jesus says, if I can, anything is possible for the one who believes. And the father's response is, I believe, help my unbelief. And that verse, that that sentence really, I believe, help my unbelief, was, was a turning point for me because I began to see that faith in Christ is not about having all of the answers. Identity in Christ is not about uh, being able to argue all the points and and those kinds of things. It is a matter of us having convictions and bringing your doubts to Christ. And so having grown up as a pastor's kid, um, that had been really hard for me. Doubts and questions and and needing to present a certain image, feeling like I needed to, had been a defining characteristic of mine. And this was the thing that showed me there is freedom in Christ to not know stuff. There's freedom in Christ to be weak and to have questions and to uh, to be vulnerable. And, uh, you know, and that's been an ongoing process for the last several years to, to learn what that means. But that was the thing that tilted me also into finding out who I was in Christ as, like, what did Christ have uniquely for me to do? So I found myself a little bit as a writer and a little bit as a speaker and a little bit as a podcaster. And I don't define myself by those things, but those are things that Christ has given me the ability to do that I wasn't free to do prior to that. I never published in much uh, at all. I never I never would have considered doing a podcast or anything like that until, until that freedom in Christ came. So I realized that was a long answer, but that's sort of the short version as well, because it doesn't really delve into sort of all the nuts and bolts of the pressures of being a pastor's kid and things like that. But that's the, that's the sort of the summary version yeah, of yeah. how I came to faith and finding an identity in Christ. Well, you know, interestingly enough, uh, as I was going through uh, your book, the pastor's kid, and and I was reading it on my, my Kindle, I'm highlighting different passages and, and a couple of the, uh, the lines here that I want to share with everyone, uh, especially, you know, because our audience primarily are church planters Mm-hmm. And uh, so as they're getting started, uh, you know, some of them have young families uh, or don't have a family yet that they're, they're they might be starting one soon. And so I look at this book as something that every uh, every one of our church planners needs to read because they need to understand what's going on with their kids. Because uh, as a pastor's kid, so much of what you said in this book, I could totally relate to. And a couple of lines here that I had uh, highlighted. A few people can do hypocrisy more smoothly than a PK. 
PKs know the right answers, know the questions that are coming, know the answer to those questions, and thus leave you with no true idea of their own heart's belief. And man, let me tell you, that is so true. Like when you grow up in the church, you just, you know it all. Like as, as a as a pastor's mm-hmm. kid, to this day, I mean, I, I, I know the, the answers, right? You know, you go to church and it's like, okay, I, I know what they're talking about, whatever. I've heard this all a million yeah. times. And Pete's a major hypocrite. <laughs> He's really smooth at it, as if he's you know if he's embodied that uh, that quote. <laughs> but no, but but it's true, right? Like I I'm know teasing. my hypocrisy, yeah. but I do know my hypocrisy, right? I know it better than anyone. And there was there was even one of the things that I really liked about the book is you took the time to uh, at least I don't know if you interviewed them or you just spent time with other pastors' kids because you have these quotes from other pastors' kids throughout the entire book and. Um, one of them, let me see if I can find it here. I had it highlighted. It was such a great uh, quote. And, um, of course, I don't know where it is off the top of my head. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. Where is there a safe place to go with your struggles? Who can you talk to? Not even the pastor. Uh. And for a pastor's kid, that's true. Like, there's literally no one I would have felt comfortable going to as a pastor's kid in my church. And I certainly couldn't go to my dad. I mean, that's that's out. I mean, yeah, one I mean, it's it's I, to revise that quote. I mean, I realize it wasn't my quote, so I can go ahead and edit somebody else's <laughs> words. It's almost it's almost especially not the pastor. You know, it's not it's not just not even. It's like oh no, and yeah. and especially not that guy because that's you know not only is he the pastor, and so there's that that sort of barrier potentially. That's my dad. And so there's any relational barriers. There's the expectation barriers. There's the I don't want to be a disappointment barriers. There's the I don't want to be an example barrier that you yeah. even talked about in the book. And like I could relate to that because when I was, uh, I don't know, fifth grade, fourth grade, I remember leaving Children's Church one Sunday, walking out into the the main auditorium. And everyone started rushing up to me. Oh, your dad told on you. You got a girlfriend. And I was like horrified just by this. mortified yeah. i was like and i learned literally in that moment never say another word to mom and dad about anything <laughs> like literally and that's to this day we 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 are not a close family at all because i just learned man you're going to become an example in church and for someone who is such an introvert like me to have that happen i was i was like destroyed in that moment and um and but that's another one of those those issues that i that pastors aren't really aware of, you know, they're just sharing a great story because they want to share the gospel. It, they've got this drive that they want to, to really get their point across. But they when don't I think, I think it's realize. a struggle, especially for pastors, because uh, pastors who, you know, there's, there's different ways to effectively preach, but a lot of guys, you know, they relate to, they, or they, they, uh, they gravitate back to the personal story mm. because that's, it's authentic. It is sharing a piece of their lives. They want to be, um, they want to be open with the congregation and not just sort of use an example about, you know, some some made up person or somebody they heard about. And and so personal stories tend to be how we relate best to people. I share some of my story and and uh, and you can then know me better. And so it, it creates a personal environment. And that's true. The problem is that for the pastor, their story is also other people's story and they are publicly sharing other people's stories. So, I mean, I, I don't even know if I gave the example in the book. I can't remember if I wrote it or not, but the, uh, 
the most resounding example of this in my mind is when my dad gave a story about, he was telling a story about God's faithfulness in little things, I think. Uh, and he told the story of how my brother and I were traveling with my mom on, to, to go visit some family and our car broke down and we were picked up by this older couple and stayed with them and all of the kindnesses of them as a believing family. And one small thing was that uh, one of us boys went out to their their little cow pond and caught a huge catfish, and he credited that to my brother. That fish was mine. I <laughs> caught that fish. <clears throat> and and so it's just, it was a little thing that became sort of a known story in the church, and uh, except that story was my story, not his story. And then one of his most famous sermons that, you know, the Desiring God put out on CD back when CDs were a thing was about, I think it was called doing missions when dying is gain or something along those lines. And, uh, and it tells the story of me getting my bike stolen when I was maybe nine or 10. And, and, uh, we lived in an inner city neighborhood and I was just riding my bike around the neighborhood and a group of guys knocked me off my bike and took it and rode away. And, um, and that was his story. And his, his point in the story was about how we, you know, we suffer for the gospel and we made a choice to live in that neighborhood and those kind of things. And as a kid, I was like, I don't care. I just want my bike back. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, those kinds of things are just because you can make a point out of a story doesn't mean that you have maybe the right to do so or that it's the it's the healthiest thing for your family because that is now a story that I mean, in my case, thousands and thousands of people have heard that. But even if it's just 25 families at a church, they now know a piece of your kid's life that they didn't choose to share. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's here's a, a question that I've got for you, because it's a struggle that I have in that, <clears throat> you know, now that that I'm a father, I've got a five year old and a 19 month old. And I am trying to raise my kids to uh, to love God. And to really know God. And, you know, I got all this baggage like everyone else does from their their childhood and and mm -hmm. however they became a Christian, if they are one. Um, but one of the 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 issues that I struggle with, and this is why I want to get your your thoughts on it, because now you've got a, your own family and things like that. How do you. Um, you know, how do you represent the gospel? How do you be a real father? without the whole legalism and, you know, the do's and the don'ts, because as a pastor's kid, at least for me, I very much felt like I was this, you know, legalistic, uh, you know, church world. Yeah. There are certain things I could do, certain things I couldn't do. And it's like, I don't want, and, and anybody who knows me today knows I'm not that way. <laughs> like I am, we, we joke that I'm the sinner on, on the podcast, but uh, that's only because my sins are are, are open, I think, and, and people see them much clearer than they do Peyton's. Um, oh, oh, I think they see mine too. Well, they they see yours, but not quite as clear as mine. Sin, sin louder, Peyton. Yeah, I I will. You know what? It in and in fairness, it has been Pete's bad influence on me. <laughs> but it's understandable. But, but at the same time, it's like okay, well, I don't want like I look back on my college experience. And I'm amazed that I didn't fall into the dra the traps of drugs and sex. Um, like the worst that I did is just got drunk a lot in college, which considering everything that I could have done um, and considering what my friends did, I mean, that was actually, you know, wow, that was like nothing, you know, compared to everyone else. But it's like, I don't want my kids going down that path and I don't want them being these legalistic little 
you know, creatures over here who don't really understand what what the gospel is all about. So how, you know, with your experience and all that, how do you father your kids? And, and now that your kids are going to go through their own version of being a PK. Well, I think, I think the, the mindset that every Christian parent needs to have, and I don't think that the church and I, this is a, you know, this is a broad thing. So not throwing stones at any particular uh, group of people. What that the church has not been great at doing is <clears throat> in, in supporting is the fact that parents need to realize that they don't save their kids. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. And so the goal of the parent is to create a context in which the Holy Spirit can work most effectively. And, you know, the Holy Spirit can can do a miracle and and save the least likely person. And a parent can do absolutely everything right. And a child can still walk away from the Lord. Uh, there's not a formula for Christian parenting, but I would say, you know, there are, there are definitely obstacles that we can avoid putting in our kids' ways. You mentioned legalism and things like that. I think for people in ministry, uh, legalism is a big, big deal because it often kind of flies under the radar because it's not just, uh, you know, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't whatever. Those those things maybe have a legalistic bent to them, but it's often we need to set an example for the church. We need to be... Uh, we need to we need to represent our family well and so you're creating a standard of morality that's beyond biblical and the, and the standard is not we need to honor Jesus with what we do and what we say and how we live and it becomes we need to represent our last name as the pastor's family we need to constantly recognize that like people are watching us and we have a thing to live up to you can't put that on a kid the kid needs to realize that the goal is to find joy in honoring Jesus. And, and so then they need to see you doing that. And so if you choose not to do something because you are in ministry, so for example, uh, alcohol is a good example. Uh, my parents never drank when I was growing up. Uh, but my dad, my dad is not anti-alcohol as, as a rule he just felt like as a person in ministry, it would be best if he did not do that because of because of the potential of causing somebody to stumble. And then he also knew his own personality. And he's spoken freely about this in public, which is why I feel like I can address it. He also knows his own personality and recognizes that he has a bit of an addictive personality. If you saw the way he drank Diet Coke, if you put a bottle of bourbon in his hand instead of Diet Coke, uh, he'd be dead by now. So it's if you choose to do things that way, you need to make clear to your kids that you're not doing this to set some extra biblical standard, but again, to try to honor Jesus and love others. Mm. And, and so I think that's a big piece of it. And then I think the other thing is just there needs to be an atmosphere of grace that mm. supersedes all of those other things. And a big piece of that is confessing sins to your kids. Yeah. Um, pastors are really good at confessing to being sinners. They're not very good at confessing sins. Hmm. It's real easy to tell your kids, oh, I'm a sinner too. It's a little bit harder to get down on your knees and look your seven-year-old in the face and say, you know, I'm I'm really sorry I lost my temper. Hmm. I'm really sorry I yelled at you. Um, that was that was not a kind or respectful way to speak. I had no business speaking to you that way. It was not loving. Would you forgive me? Because you have now set the standard of grace. You've said, I, we are equal in our need of grace. We are we are equal in our need of forgiveness. I'm counting on you to forgive me. 
you're counting on me to forgive you, and both of us are utterly and completely counting on God to forgive us through Christ. And so that has to be there. And I would I would venture to say that uh, if you don't do that, you give your kids a great sort of theology of sin and no understanding of their own sinfulness mm. or your sinfulness for that matter, mm. even though they recognize it. And so, and so hypocrisy begins to sort of be the, the current because they hear dad talking about being a sinner. But when does dad ever say, hey, I'm sorry that I said this from the pulpit, but I didn't back it up at home last week. And that kind of thing. And so, I don't know, those are just some some sort of disparate thoughts on that. But I think I think that atmosphere of grace, I think that that underlying constant understanding that the Holy Spirit saves and we don't. So we just try to create a context where the Holy Spirit can be can be active and and then rem- constantly holding everybody to the same standard. And that is find joy in honoring Jesus, not represent the church, represent our family, do this do this action because it's the thing that we need to do, but rather what is the thing that honors Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the other quotes here that I got highlighted is uh, on the family side, PKs know our parents sins and failures inside and out. And to see people adore our parents as something they are not ranges from nausea to heart hardening. And, um, and, I think one of the reasons why when I read this book, I was like, you know what? Our church planners need to read this. They need to understand, especially if they haven't been a PK, uh, what what their kids are going to be going through. Is I wanted them to have this kind of insight so they knew uh, those things like what you just said about you just you got to be more open about it and just share like in in. In my own family, there was a there was a, an issue that happened. My uh, my my father comes from a very tight family, four kids. He was one of four, and I mean, I got cousins galore, and I have basically no relationship with any of my cousins because when um, when I was in fifth grade, my grandfather died. In sixth grade, my grandmother died, and then there was a falling out in the family, and my father was hurt very deeply by his brother, and. Uh, uh, my uncle ended up, I think he even went to jail for a little bit of time, and it was basically cut off from the family. And it was so bad in, in my house, you couldn't speak his name. Like, we knew as kids, mm-hmm. my sister and I, you don't say his name because dad's going to be, you know, not happy. And um, and I remember distinctly thinking, <laughs> you know, you're up there talking about forgiveness and we can't even say his name, right? I mean, like for decades, it wasn't until a few years ago, you know, 25 years later that they had a, um, you know, a, a, a mending and, and came back and, and now things are, are good again. And this is 25 years later. But as a kid growing up, I remember that going, okay, this is, this is ridiculous. You say one thing, but then we live this other thing. And, and so the reason why I'm pointing this out is not that, hey, you know, guys, you know, people have hypocrisy. I think we all know that. We, we've yeah. all got issues in our lives. But I, I want people to really understand um, what it's like for their kids because they do see both sides, right? They see the the preacher up there and what he's saying, and then they also know you back at home, and they know what you're doing. And so there's that disconnect that can be going on with people. So uh, so personally, I'm really grateful that that you wrote this book and and uh, and put it out there because um, 
it means a lot to me to be able to read it and know, hey, I, you know, I didn't think I was the only one, but there's a reason why PKs have this reputation, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, you, yeah. You just go, oh, you're PK. Oh, okay, that explains everything. In fact, I used to tell people, I go, look, as a PK for me, I was a terror on Sunday because I didn't want people in the church to think I was some goody two shoe. But then <laughs> Monday through Saturday, I was actually pretty good. Because I felt like, okay, well, I need to, you know, live a certain way and, and show everyone how they're supposed to live. And so I was like the reverse PK, right? Growing up. But, uh, but I, I think it's, I think it's a, a great book and a, a, a book that I would recommend all of our church planners get and read and, and think about as they're raising their own families of, uh, of these issues that are going on for their kids that they may not have thought through before. Cause maybe they've never been a PK, you know, they've been called to ministry and, they just don't know these other things that are going on. So, so with that, uh, Barnabas, I really do appreciate you um, you coming on here and doing this interview and sharing these thoughts with us. Everyone, again, you can pick up a copy of the book. It's called The Pastor's Kid, Finding Your Own Faith and Identity by Barnabas Piper. Get it wherever books are sold. Of course, that means Amazon because that's <laughs> the only place anyone buys books anymore. And, uh, and Peyton, of course, has our favorite question that he's got to ask. I do. Hey, Barnabas, that that was good stuff, man. Hey, um, let me ask you, how old are you? I'm 33. 33. Okay, that's going to make my question easier. Because my question for you, and we ask this question of every guest, of course, it changes, it morphs according to who we have on. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with your dad at 33 (laughs) years old, who would win? Wait, was he? Is he thirty three or he's like thirty three? And you're thirty three, so you guys are like in the same weight class. Well, no, we're not. I mean, my dad's tiny, uh, <laughs> relatively speaking. I'm, I, I got my mom's side of the family genetics. I'm six two and about two hundred pounds, and uh, my dad is five nine. Although he's shrinking, so he's probably about five eight right now. Um, and uh, so he, let's give him five nine at thirty three, and maybe one hundred and sixty pounds. Um, he was a he was a really good athlete, but I think by sh- by reach and by uh, by body mass and general sort of musculature, I, I bet I could take him. Nice, <laughs> nice. It's great. But he's but I would put him up against anybody in his own weight class. Like he was a he was a scrapper. Was he really? Uh, I mean, he didn't get in a lot of fights, but he was a really good athlete and yeah. uh, and really intense. That all those karate chops in the pulpit that people have seen. <laughs> <laughs> you want to cross that? Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. No, I believe it, man. I believe it. Like you said, he's a pretty intense dude. So, you know, I believe it, man. So let, let me ask you this. This is this is a bonus since right. we're talking, you know, uh, you know, the Pipers. I mean, you know, if if you were a super, if this was like Civil War, right? This was like a superhero battle, Batman versus Superman. Which superheroes would you guys be? What what would your wh- who would your dad be in the superhero lineup, and who would you be? Because when you talk about you, man, I'm thinking Hulk smashing, <laughs> you know, someone else. But you know, who would your dad uh, be? He'd he'd be like Doctor X from the uh, from the X Men, <laughs> Professor <laughs> X. Nice. At, like at his it. at least at his current phase in life, I think that's I think that's the case. You know, so he's he's sort of the 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 smarter one who can who can see what everybody else is thinking and always has the plan and and he can get and, into and, your head let's face it he what, can get into your head have, have you met any of my dad's followers 
You would think that he could get inside people's head and actually make them think exactly like he does. Um, you know what, my brother? I was at Lloyd Jones's church for a number of years, and uh, they, they there are men like your father who have those powers even after they're dead. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I think Spurgeon still has those powers from the grave on certain people. He's using them on me, brother. I'm telling you that. Yeah, and then let's see if I if I was to be a superhero as well. Uh, let's see. Maybe like Iron Man, because I don't feel like I have any inherent superpowers, but I can sort of use the ones that I have to to create uh, some cool stuff. And uh, and I would like to be a genius philanthropist billionaire who's also a total smart aleck. Hey, who wouldn't, right? <laughs> sounds least, fun to me. At least we got the smart aleck thing working for us. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All it. right. Well, hey, man, it's been fantastic having you on, and uh, thank you for blessing our guys and uh, guys don't forget to pick up his book the pastor's kid and uh arnold sign us out remember if you are called to church planting go hardcore or go home you've been listening to hardcore church planning hardcore church planning has been brought to you by the church planner podcast and the church planner magazine which is available in the app store for both apple and android devices if you like this episode leave us a positive review If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.